Welcome to Revival from the Bible, a daily devotional podcast designed to help more people get into God's Word and get more out of the Word. I'm Ben Blakey. It's Friday, February 26th, 2021. Do you ever wake up on the wrong side of the bed? Isn't it interesting how seemingly little things can have such a dramatic impact on our perspective and the way that we're viewing life or our attitudes? Um, Even just speaking of, of waking up, I'm reminded of a day recently where I have three kids, seven, four, and two years old. And it was just one of those days where things were not getting off to a good start. I mean, literally before the day began, even as my wife and I were still sleeping, our oldest came in from a bad dream, kind of at that awkward time where it's really, you were about to get up anyways, but now you're not going to have enough time to get back to sleep. And well, before long after that, uh, one of our boys was crying and his cries were enough to wake up the other boy. So instead of sleeping to the normal time and then getting up and uh, like we normally do, having at least some time of quiet, even to spend with the Lord before the day gets going, it's just no, everything was off schedule. Everything was out of the normal. And if I'm being honest, I, I personally was getting to a place where I'm just thinking, well, today is just going to be an awful day. Do you ever have experiences like this? Or we have times even where we're just in moods where we're just kind of down. And, and sometimes there's not even a specific reason for it, right? We, we're just feeling down and we kind of lean into that feeling. Well, even that morning that I was dealing with all of the things that were going on with my kids waking up earlier than normal. When I did get to open up my Bible, this passage confronted me, the one that we are looking at today, and that is Psalm 30. Psalm 30 verses 1 through 7. And what really stood out to me was starting in verse Four, But let me just read this section, these seven verses for us this morning. As we look at God's word together, it says, I will extol you, O God, for you have drawn me up and have not let my foes rejoice over me. O Lord, my God, I cried to you for help and you have healed me. O Lord, you have brought up my soul from Sheol. You have restored me to life from among those who go down to the pit. Sing praises to the Lord, O you his saints, and give thanks to his holy name. For his anger is but for a moment, and his favor is for a lifetime. Weeping may tarry for the night, but joy comes with the morning. As for me, I said in my prosperity, I shall never be moved. By your favor, O Lord, you made my mountain stand strong. You hid your face, I was dismayed. And there as we we look at that, I think it starts to give us a bigger picture. And it made me think just that day where it's like, you know, at the in reality, nothing major had gone wrong. None of our kids were thankfully even sick or throwing up or anything like that. It was just the day was getting off to a, a start with less rest and less peace and quiet than normal. But when I stop and step back and view things from a wider perspective, things start to look different. I mean, just consider what he says in verse three. Oh, Lord, you have brought up my soul from Sheol. You restored me to life from among those who go down to the pit, right? If I step back and think about it and think about how God has saved my soul, 
shouldn't that give me a little different perspective than just thinking, oh, today's off to a rough start. It's going to be a miserable day and starting to go down this path of woe is me. Should I not be kind of putting my attention on what God has done and how my life and really the state of my soul and my eternal destiny could be a lot worse? But God, he brought my soul out of the pit. He brought me out of Sheol. And I need to give thanks to him for that. And that's why I love even the imperative words of verse four, sing praises to the Lord, O you, his saints, and give thanks to his holy name. It was a good reminder. And I hope it's a good reminder for all of us that we, no matter what the circumstances are, if we are a Christian, if we are one of the saints, people who have been set apart for eternal life, should we not sing praises to the Lord? Don't we have reason to give thanks to his holy name? We absolutely do, and we should. And verse 5 is a reminder for his anger is but for a moment, and his favor is for a lifetime, right? We have a lifetime and really an eternity to look forward to God's favor. And that's something we talked about the other day as we looked at Psalm 27. Do we anticipate God being good? We say with David, I believe I will look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. That even when circumstances are rough, we shouldn't give in to the temptation to say, oh, today's going to be an awful day. We should be telling ourselves, I am expecting to see God be good today because his favor is for a lifetime. And while weeping may tarry for the night, joy comes with the morning. I think that's true. Often as Christians, we do see how God, even though there can be some hard circumstances in life, God does have his way of bringing joy, even into difficult circumstances. And we know ultimately joy will come with the morning that will dawn when Christ returns and we get to spend eternity with him. There will be a never ending joy. We need this wider perspective often. And that's why for many of us, sometimes we just kind of start going down a dark path in our mind for not really big reasons at all. We just start getting discouraged or we just start getting upset that things aren't going some way how we thought or how we planned. And we really lean into that and start kind of getting a sour attitude. And what we need to do often in those times is direct our thoughts back to the bigger picture of what God has done. And even, I mean, so many of the trials in our lives that kind of get us in this dark place mentally are ultimately trivial things. But I'm sure there's some of you even listening to this that what you're going through is not trivial. There is something very serious going on in your life that is painful, that that does hurt. Well, that's where even still this wider perspective can help. The, The Psalms especially, they're no stranger to suffering. They're not trying to act like everything is nice and rosy with the world. And while weeping may tarry for the night, joy will come with the morning. And even if you're going through something serious, you can trust that God is going to bring joy even in the midst of difficulty and that ultimately we have eternity to look forward to. And I hope this psalm helps give us that wider perspective. Another thing that we see where should change our perspective and broaden it as we think about ultimate realities is Matthew chapter 17. In Matthew chapter 17, verses 1 through 13, we read the story of the transfiguration, where Jesus takes Peter, James, and John, kind of the inner three of the twelve, and he leads them up a mountain, and he is transfigured before them. 
and uh, they kind of get a glimpse of Jesus in his glory shining. You know, it says his clothes became white as light and his face shone like the sun. Wow. And they, um, you know, they are troubled almost. Jesus has to comfort them in the midst of all of this. And not only do they see Jesus in that glory, Moses and Elijah appear and are talking with them. And in the midst of all this, God speaks, you know, Peter tries to say something to fill the moment and say, hey, let's make this last longer. When God shows up and says, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased, listen to him. And this is ultimately what gets the disciples to fall on their faces and become terrified. And now we might not have that literal vision. You you might not be walking along today and all of a sudden, boom, there's Christ in his glory. (laughs) I doubt that's going to happen in your experience today, but it is a reality. Whether we get a glimpse of it like Peter, James, and John did, um, really, we need to acknowledge this is who Jesus is. And it reminds me really of the vision that John gets later in Revelation chapter 1. And this is another way we need to broaden or widen our perspective, even when life gets difficult, that Jesus is exalted. Jesus is at the right hand of God and The same thing is true today that God the Father said to those men, Jesus is still his beloved son and we must listen to him. And these three men would go on to encounter opposition and persecution, right? Peter was crucified upside down. We've already read about James being beheaded in the book of Acts and John, well, he endured all kinds of suffering for the sake of the gospel. Don't you think this vision of Christ was probably something that encouraged them that even though they were going through suffering or even though they were staring death in the face, they knew who Jesus was. They had caught a glimpse of his glory. That's where I think we need to look in God's word and admit and look at the glory of Jesus Christ. And that will encourage us through suffering. There's a little conversation at the end here where they're asking, why does Elijah come first? Or or what about that? If you're the Messiah, where's Elijah? And Jesus does give an answer that helps them to understand, oh, John the Baptist fulfilled the Old Testament prophecies about the coming of Elijah before the Messiah. But what he points out is, hey, they did not listen. They did not recognize him. Verse 12, I tell you, Elijah has already come. And he's referring, I think, to John the Baptist there. And they did not recognize him, but did to him whatever they pleased. So also the son of man will certainly suffer at their hands. So even though the son of man suffered, and even though his followers will suffer, Jesus Christ is exalted and we need to see him that way. And that will encourage us through difficulties. And that's really what we see in Acts chapter 18. Paul goes to a new city, the city of Corinth. And we see kind of a mixed record here where we see some fruitful ministry that he does, but we also see some intense opposition. But he gets this encouraging vision where the Lord, Jesus appears to him and says, do not be afraid, but go on speaking and do not be silent for I am with you and no one will attack you to harm you for I have many in this city who are my people. And if we're seeking to serve the Lord, we we might not have all the specifics that, that God gave specifically to Paul in that moment through that vision of Jesus, but we do have the words of Jesus, even think about the Great Commission, where he says that he is with us always. And so may we take encouragement of that and may the vision of Christ presented in scripture encourage us to continue to serve him even in the face of opposition. 
Let's wrap up today with Leviticus, Leviticus 19 and 20. And here we really see some of the core elements of this book. And even though a lot of people just kind of throw this book out as, oh, that's all irrelevant. And, uh, you know, the sacrifices, that's, there's too many details to keep track of. Uh, chapters 19 and 20 really help us to see, I think, some of the central points in this book where chapter 19 really emphasizes that God is holy. And it says there again in verse two, you shall be holy for I, the Lord, your God am holy. There is nothing irrelevant about that statement for us as believers. He is still calling us to be holy as he is holy. And then again, if you're reading the English standard version, you probably have even a heading over verse nine, like my Bible does that says, love your neighbor as yourself. I think Jesus made it pretty clear he's expecting all of us to seek to live that out in our lives as well. And some of the specific commands here, while they might not apply, you might not be reaping the harvest of your land and uh, making sure that you are uh, not gathering all the fallen grapes, right? That, That might not be a specific way you're applying this, but God wants you to love your neighbor as yourself. And even as he goes on to talk about different laws and different punishments, right? You, you see at the end of chapter 20 that his emphasis is, I want you to be holy. I don't want you to live like the rest of the world. And again, that is something as Christians that we should prayerfully seek. We know that our sin has been atoned for, not by the sacrifice of animals, but through the precious blood of Christ. And so that's where we should probably even be taking these commands to live in a holy way even more seriously than the people who got Leviticus originally. And even just think, are we seeking to love one another as Christ has instructed us to? Are we seeking to live lives of purity in a very impure world? These should be things that Christians are still seeking to do today, and I hope our time in Leviticus only reinforces those desires in us. And even as we do, may we have a wider perspective on how good God really is and the amazingness of what he has done for us through Jesus Christ. Thanks for digging into God's Word with me today on Revival from the Bible. For more resources, check out RevivalFromTheBible.com. To learn more about Compass Bible Church Treasure Valley, go to CompassBible.tv. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you.